Greetings. Welcome to Mind Matters News. I'm your digitally recovering host, Robert J. Marks. You know, digital media surrounds us. Communication theorist Marshall McLuhan famously said, the medium is the message. It means that media embeds itself in the message, creating a symbiotic relationship with us. And McLuhan wrote this in 1964, when the only media was billboards, television, radio, magazines, and newspapers. We didn't have digital media, per se, back then. Escaping commercial media was no problem then. Just turn off your TV, spend some time with your family, go outside or read a good book. It's a lot worse today. Heck, when filling up my car at my local gas station, I am subjected to stupid ads on a screen embedded in the gas pump of all places. It used to be that I could hit a button on the gas pump, turn off the audio, and pump my gas in peace. No more. That feature of stopping the audio has been removed, at least at the gas station I go to. So I have now switched gas stations where the gas pumps are not trying to sell me a a bag of Fritos or, or some sort of cold, refreshing beverage, as they call it. You know, McLuhan said, we become symbiotic with the media. I think this is a really interesting word, symbiotic. Famously, remora fish attach themselves to sharks eating parasites on the shark's skin and mouth. If, imagine you are the shark, digital media is the remora fish attached to your spirit. For those addicted, the media distracts us from what um, what eats at our spirit. Now, ironically, what eats at our spirit has also been caused by digital media. So the relationship has developed into something which is addictive. We become addicted to digital media and not in a healthy way. Not like I'm addicted to coffee. I always say that my addiction to coffee is healthy. That's <laughs> okay. Um you know, there are other addictions, serious addictions. Uh, there, there are severe alcoholics, for example. There are also functioning alcoholics. I would sadly confess myself as being a functioning digital media addict. And I, I tell you, I'd like to recover. So that's what we're going to talk today about. There is good news. Today, we get an exciting perspective on digital wellness from Don Weibel, who is the founder of Talk More, Tech Less. The website for our organization is talkmoretechless.com. Talkmoretechless.com. Politicians say you should repeat a website three times, so let me do it again. Talkmoretechless.com. Don is a certified digital wellness educator and is an alumnus of the Digital Wellness Institute. She works with the Screen Time Action Network to combat online harm to children. Don trains school districts and communities in healthy and safe screen use. And if you contacted Don, I bet you she could she could help you out. Welcome, Don. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm glad to be here. Oh, yeah. It's a delight to have you. We've talked a little bit before the, the podcast and uh, kind of have got to know each other. But nevertheless, I don't think the listeners know very much about what's happening. So tell me more about Talk More, Tech Less, what you do, and Maybe just start with the backstory. Uh, what's the backstory of Talk More, Tick Less? Yeah, so this really organically started out of hanging out with teenagers. My husband and I have worked with youth age teenagers for 20 plus years. I'm a former educator as well. And we really saw about 15 years ago the shift from when our handheld devices became a, such a part of our lives and really when handhelds start. 
started. So when when kids started getting smartphones, um, my husband runs an outdoor mentorship group for junior high and high school boys, getting them outdoors, hunting, fishing, hiking, uh, taking them to Colorado, and they hike up in the mountains and fly fish up in the lakes there. And it's just a, a really great avenue for connection with young men and mentoring them. And I bet you, Don, that up in the lakes and in the rivers, there's probably no cell phone service. No so cell it's phone. a great place to go away, go away and get away from the media, right? It's That's exactly right. And we, ha- we have a t-shirt now that says, no signal needed. And we've got a couple <laughs> of those guys uh, taking pictures up there in the mountains because they, they don't have a signal up there. So yeah, that's really where it got started. We He runs a summer camp in the summers. And years ago, it was really easy for the guys to turn in there. At the beginning of the camp, we you know asked them, turn in your um, pocket knives, your medication, your cell phones, and, and put them in a baggie for the week. And when you needed something, you could go get it. But got harder and harder for them to turn over those cell phones as the years went on and we started to realize they were giving friends their Snapchat passwords so that they could keep up their streaks while they were at camp. And just all of the things that we realized, oh, we're we're getting more dependent on these devices and, and so are the kids. Boy, you talk about addiction. I mean, these kids were, it was like it was a job and they were going away from their job and they had to have somebody cover for their work. Exactly right. It's very meaningful wow. for them to stay connected that way. And so taking a, a week off to unplug um, which is a term we use to get away from all of that is is very healthy for us, but it it got very hard. And now it's hard to imagine being away from our phone for one full week. I mean, that would be quite the sacrifice. So back then it wasn't as much, but but now it really is. I mean, our phones, we, we like to say Talk More Tech Less started with kids, but the reality is we weren't seeing this shift just happen with the teenage boys. We were seeing it happen in our own marriage with parenting our own kids. Um, And it wasn't just happening in our community. It was happening globally. Our our work, our school, everything uh, became a part of our lives as this all turned into, you know, our computers became our smartphones. Wow. So tell me a little bit about Talk More Tech Less and what you currently do. When you go out and you talk to organizations, what what sort of thing do you tell them? Uh, Are you primarily aiming at uh, teenage, the teenage audience and their parents? That's actually where it got started. But no, um, we've really, it's been, really been pretty expansive uh, since we started. So I, after we, we realized that was happening at the camp, um, like I said, at the camp, when, when the guys handed over their phones, we, we started to notice real clear signs of withdrawal. Um, which were the early signs of uh, looking at this addiction. Like we talk about, you know, at first we said dependency, but now we're, we're really adamantly saying this is an addiction. So if I, yeah, if I, if I can make a parallel, that's kind of like going to a detox center, isn't it? Exactly. Like getting dried out. If you're an alcoholic, you have to get dried out mentally from your cell phone. So exactly. Th- those retreats are detox. Exactly. Day one or day two, wow. they would be reaching for their phones when their phones weren't there. We started to see a decrease in eye contact, um, conversation skills. Um, conversations were really easy back 10 years ago, and they started to get harder and harder the guys would come into the kitchen and cook with us and we'd have easy conversations with them, but that was just getting more um, distant. And so we started to really look and see that there this, this was way before um, the current research that is out, which is 
wonderful research that's coming out about this, but back in 2011, 2012, there wasn't as much research on this, but what there was, we did start to um, latch on to and say, okay, there, there's something we can do here. So I formed Talk More Tech Less um, because I was an educator. That's really where I got started was going into schools, talking to students about this, universities, um, talking to college students about it. And now I'm down to uh, pre-K age because three and four year olds actually have access to technology and use it. And we can even teach them how to be safe and um, healthy when they're engaging with their technology. But I also do retreats, digital wellness retreats for adults and training in companies and organizations as well because it really affects our productivity at work as well. You know, when when you said that uh, you're actually talking about three and four year olds uh, having availability to technology, I, I got a little chill. And then I realized probably in most cases, these are not three and four year olds that are given cell phones, but it might be something like um, putting them before the TV and let them watch Netflix uh, cartoons for children or something like that. Well, you may be surprised. <laughs> some, of, some of the younger kids even do have cell phones because games are oh so easily accessible on phones. And when parents are out um, with strollers, their uh, babies, our babies can actually swipe. Young, young toddlers know how to swipe on phones and uh, play early games. They create games for that age. So yes, the um, American Academy of Pediatrics suggests tw- wait at least 24 months, two years before you give any kid a screen, but you'd be surprised that is it's really um, almost accepted that younger and younger have access to it, which you're right, is a little bit chilling. Wow. So they're treating digital media almost like a pacifier. Or a binky, I think, is what some parents call them. Exactly right. You put it in there, and it, it distracts them. and And I'm wondering on these on these phones, are they safe in the sense that if they swipe something, they can come up with something inappropriate? Or they're not safe. No, I mean there are ways to make our phones safer, but as of right now, they're not safe. We actually are working on legislation right now to to help um, have better safeguards for for phones, not just for kids, but for, um, yeah, toddlers and, and very young age to be able to have some kind of something set up so that it is by default a safer device than what it is right now. Well, one of the things that um, I think is that parents can go overboard in banning their kids from use of cell phones, for example, because if you ban a cell phone, for example, um, and all your friends have it, you're going to want that so bad. And when you turn 18 and the parents are no longer in control, you're going to jump there. I tell people about when I was a little kid, my mom wouldn't let me watch the television program, The Untouchables. She said, Bob, it's just too violent. But even to this day, I see The Untouchables and I want to watch it because <laughs> mom banned me from it. So what's what's the solution to that? That's exactly right. I, I have families that say my kid will never get a cell phone in my home. And I always say that that's a missed opportunity to be able to walk with them yes. through these issues while they're in your home. Um, but I do encourage delaying, especially social media, but even cell phones for the earlier ages, um, delaying that. And probably the the biggest question that I get from adults is how old should my kid 
be when they get a cell phone. And every family is different. I have a friend who just walked through a recent divorce and her husband, her ex-husband and her have different ideas about the phones, but she needs to be able to get a hold of her kids. Um, and so we talk about ways to still delay the phone for later, but ways to set it up to where you make your smartphone a dumb phone. You're blocking lots of things like access to the internet and other things like that to dumb down your smartphone so that it's a lot safer, um, but you can still have access and get in touch with your kid. But really, it, it depends on the family when you do get a phone, but I do encourage um, slow introduction and, and a lot of being involved in what your kids are involved with online, especially social media. I would, I would delay that till high school if possible. One of the things I think that is important, I'll see if you agree, is that parents talk to their kids and limit the, the apps and the things that their children have access over the phone. And I have a son who's great at doing this. He talks with his two boys and says, look, I'm doing this because of this reason and this reason and this reason. And they sit down and they talk it out. So his kids really understand the limitations and why dad has their best interest at heart. And it's that sort of thing that you can take into your 18th birthday and not uh, run out and get a cell phone and just, just have a big dump of everything. Exactly right. I mean, the name of our organization is Talk More for a reason, Talk More, Tech Less, because we really do encourage talking about all of these issues with your kids. An organization that I love and promote and follow and have for a long time is Protect Young Eyes. And that one of the things that they say is to have 10 talks about porn before the age of 10 with your kids, because the early uh, average exposure right now is 11 years old. And some studies are saying eight years old. And so by the time your kid is 10, you can have had all of these talks and you don't have to use the term pornography. You can say um, you can say if you're you know, you have a five year old, for example, you if you see anything on anyone's phone, because it's not always your own kid's phone, you know, they may not even have a phone, but they their friends may or their classmates may. But if you see an, a picture or an image of somebody that isn't wearing any clothes, you can tell mommy that you won't be in trouble for that. Um, you can come tell mom or dad and we want to help keep you safe. And that way you're not, you're taking the shame aspect away, but you're opening the door and you're opening the conversation for them to feel like they can come to you, like you are a safe place. Otherwise, um, if it's shut down, if it's blocked, if it's uh, this fear-based mentality, it's going to be really hard for you to be a safe and open, secure place for your for your family, for your kids to come to when they are encountering this kind of stuff. I talked to uh, Jay Richards at the Heritage Foundation who has done research in this. And he says one of the reasons for the increase of dysphoria is the availability of pornography to young people. Mm -hmm. That a young girl who's going through adolescence might view pornography and go, man, that's what a woman is supposed to do. I don't feel like I should do that. I must not be a woman. Mm -hmm. And so it gives her pause in her identity, especially going through the transition to adolescence. So anyway, he, he blames a lot of the uh, a lot of the dysphoria on pornography. So yeah, that's interesting. Eleven years old. I mean, that's that that's chilling. That's um, that, that that that's terrible. And you know, there is such thing as a free speech, but uh, I don't know where do you draw the line. 
I'm kind of a libertarian, but I would like to see some of that stuff outlawed or limited or, or something. Yeah, similar. I mean, we're we're that is part of the work that um, I've been doing with. You mentioned that I was a part of the volunteer with the Screen Time Action Network. Yeah, what is that? So it's a group of parents and advocates and organizations that are working towards safer screens for kids and and just awareness around the issue of screen addiction, online harms. My my specific work is the online harms prevention work group. There are parent survivors in that group who have lost their kids to cyberbullying or online challenges, some dangerous online challenges, um, different things like like that that have impacted kids, and they and they are working on legislation to do something about it because, like we said, regulating the internet is a really hard issue to get into when you're talking about freedom of speech and politics. But there are definitely some safeguards that we can and and should be responsible to put on these devices because they are so accessible to young children and to our youth and it and it's negatively impacting them you know the um, the the copyright acts and the the free speech acts are really what allows this stuff to propagate um you're probably familiar maybe maybe not with angel studios they're the ones that present the work The Chosen, yes. which is a popular dramatization of, um, of the life of Christ, really well acted. My opinion is that most um, biblical sort of films are kind of cheesy. They're poorly written. They preach at you. They have poor acting. They have poor writing. They have poor cinematography. That's not the case with Chosen. It's class A from, from A to Z, or Alpha to Omega, I probably should say. It's really cool. Well, one of the things that Angel Studios did before The Chosen is that they made software to remove bad parts of movies. And you could go in and you could apply their software to remove bad parts of movies so that your kids could watch them. Well. The people that were making the movies didn't like that, including Disney. And Disney sued Angel Studios for violation of copyright. They were messing with their intellectual property. And Disney and some of these other companies, they they, they won the suit. And it just about bankrupted uh, Angel Studios. So there is this powerful presence of, let me just say filth, if you will, filth and inappropriate con- content that you can't you can't edit, so you really have to censor it and explain to your kids why the heck you're doing it. When I found that out, that was really chilling, that Angel Studios was sued by Disney. Wow. Yeah, that, that's really interesting. And when, you, when you're talking about legislation, you know, the research backing with the research has been so helpful um, because that really shows the, how this is impacting our youth and the law is, you know, there to protect society. And so that we are able to use that in some of this legislation. And, you know, you mentioned libertarian that a lot of this stuff is bipartisan. I mean, it's parents, grandparents uh, wanting to say, hey, big tech, you have a lot of power here. But in this specific area, we need some we need some help in protecting our kids, and so um, it's been very bipartisan, um, left, right, religious, non-religious groups backing backing some of this. Wow, you know, um, cell phones are ubiquitous, even in Haiti. I have, I have a friend, a colleague here at Baylor University that spends time in Haiti every year, and most of the Haitians, even though they only make on the average of a dollar a day, have cell phones. 
uh, it's hard to believe. Mm-hmm. And one of the statistics from your website is that 96% of Americans own a cell phone, and most users check their phones 63 times a day. I'm going to have to put a little clicker on my cell phone. I don't know how many times I click it, but I don't know if it's up to 63. I hope not. Well, you may be able to check that in your screen time settings. <laughs> oh, is that right? Sometimes it shows how many times, yes, how many times, depending on your software, depending on um, if you have an iPhone or what, but it it will show how many times you've picked up your phone that day. Yeah. Another statistic is 60% of the global population uses social media. 60% of the global population uses social media. And social media, here's my synopsis of it. It makes you feel like the whole world is having a good time, except for you. (laughs) uh, Because you know know specifically what you're going through, but everybody presents themselves in the most positive light. So the presentation is that uh, everybody in the world is having a good time except for you. And therefore, you must be a loser. This is the reason for some of these terrible uh, statistics that come out about... uh, about people that are exposed to social media a lot. Yes, that's very true. There's a lot of um, FOMO, fear of missing out when you get involved in uh, social media. And it's been interesting, the relationship research that comes out from being online and connecting online and and what connections are actually um, increasing our well-being and what connections are lowering our well-being. And some of that really looks at who you're following, what accounts you're following. So We talked to um, not just students, but even for myself, it took me a while to get my social media to a place where where I actually feel better when I'm coming out of it. I go into it feeling good and I come out of it feeling good. And that's a hard thing to do, but it really uh, has to do with what accounts I'm following. Am I I following accounts that are uplifting, that are inspiring me? Um, If students set up their first social media account and they start following a bunch of people that have a lot of subscribers or influencers or celebrities, it shows that their well-being is lower because they see these people with the these perfect bodies that actually aren't even realistic with all of these filters. And they see these people with seven Lamborghinis and two mansions, and they feel like their life is terrible. Um, And so their well-being is lower. Really, it's really interesting what comparison is doing to us. It is. It's um, chilling. Here's one I identify with. Again, I'm going to do a confession here. 90% of 18 to 29-year-olds sleep with their smartphones close by. (laughs) I do, but I have a reason. I have a reason, Don. And that's sometimes when I go to bed, I can't sleep and I can't sleep because my mind is racing. It's, it's going around and thinking of this and thinking of that. And I think a lot of people get their mind racing. So I, I put on a boring podcast and I use earbuds and I turn it real, I, I turn the volume way down low so that I have to think to listen to it. And I begin to listen to it and um, man, I begin to fall asleep. And you know, my secret podcast, I, I almost don't want to confess it. But the one that puts me to sleep the quickest is Through the Bible by J. Vernon McGee. <laughs> I don't know if you've, ever, if you've ever listened to J. Vernon McGee. He has a wonderful, wonderful uh, series of, of sermons. But uh, if you turn it down really, really quiet, uh, man, he's, uh, he, he's good for your sleep. So I'm one of these. But 90% of 18 to 29-year-olds sleep with their smartphones close by. This is a statistic from your website. This, this is chilling. 
Yeah, it's well, it's kind of like you were getting some bedtime stories read to you <laughs> to help you fall asleep. That's nice. Yeah, I, I guess I so. Okay. Well, we That's a nice way to put it. Thank you. <laughs> Making you feel better. Yes, this is definitely what we're seeing, especially when we talk to um to teachers and seeing students falling asleep in class. Phones are keeping keeping students up, keeping adults up. Um, Melatonin sales have gone up 500% since smartphones came on the scene. So that just tells you that just tells you how much the blue light emission impacts our natural melatonin levels. And so really having that phone set aside, at least um, where you're not on the screen, not staring at the screen 30 minutes to an hour before bed helps your natural melatonin levels rise and it helps you fall asleep and stay asleep longer. So that's, that's one of the techniques that we give. Usually when I present, as I'm doing our trainings um, to the students, usually when I present a problem, I like to present um, just a small step, a small solution to help. And that, and that's one of them. If you know, you can't have the cell phone out of the room, the next best option is to have it at least put away 30 minutes before you're trying to fall asleep. I think this is part of your rehab effort. I think you mentioned this with your with your husband's thing where they put all their cell phones and stuff in a bag and it's called a detox box. What's a detox box? Yes, we, we created a detox box. That's right. That's what we have on our website. We created a detox box at the very beginning uh, because this was one of the issues that the that the boys were dealing with. They were saying, you know, back then it was Twitter. Um, now it's Snapchat that they're on, but the teenagers were on um, social media in the middle of the night. They were getting into websites they wish they weren't on in the middle of the night. Um, and they were just not getting good sleep. We had this extra wood left over from one of the work projects we were doing at camp. And we said, you know what, let's build these boxes and let's just put our phones in them for bedtime. You plug your phone in, put it in the box, you recharge your phone and you recharge your body while your phone's recharging. Um, and you get some good sleep. And then we also talked about mealtimes, having that box for mealtimes, because a lot of them were saying, you know, we're sitting around the table with our family and we're not really talking and connecting over meals anymore. So we say, we'll use the detox box for that. Stick your phones in the box and, you know, go to a restaurant or stick your phones in the box and sit around your dinner table or breakfast table and have um, have those conversations. So that's really where the box came into effect and and we definitely use it in our home. I I love it and um, it's just a way this was way before we knew the science of having a home for your phone. That's what I call it because when our phones are on us, our minds are attached to whatever is on the other end of that. So then some of the newest statistics coming out are saying 22 hours a day is how often our phones are with us. I mean they're pretty much an extension of our body. So if we can set them aside and walk away from them, we're actually freeing our mind and giving our mind space to do what it needs to do, whether that's connecting with someone or it's getting good sleep. You know, Don, um, my family owns a little cabin in West Virginia, and it used to be that there was no internet there, no cell phone service. We went there, and because of the lack of all of this, it it, it totally forced us to interact, and it was great. You know, you, you got to know your family and uh, be able to talk to them, but Thanks to Elon Musk and his satellites, we now have internet there and we have phones there. Back in this backwoods cabin way back in the hills in West Virginia, down a, down a long holler. They call them hollers in West Virginia. And um, so we've decided, like you said, 
to have a little box that when we go in there, we put all of our cell phones in a box and we can, that forces us to interact. We're not allowed to go get it. And the funny thing is this, this um, anxiety that you talk about being separated from your cell phones, you got a good name for it, by the way, Uh, nomophobia, Mm -hmm. Uh, no mobile phone phobia. It's called nomophobia, N-O-M-O phobia. And it says that 66% of the world's population shows signs of nomophobia and seven out of 10 people report some level of anxiety when disconnected from their phone. In my work, I have to have my phone with me during work time because, well, not only calls, but the idea that a lot of the websites that I check on double check with me over my cell phone to see whether the connection is safe. Um, and I, I must admit that I, I suffer from nomophobia. You also say it's called PSA, phone separation anxiety. Mm-hmm. And so this is, a, this is a very interesting malady that we have. It's so true. And, you know, we have a couple locations that we used to go to that had no cell service. And now um, they do. I think about that old Verizon commercial. Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? And the guys up in the mountains and they're trying to get cell service everywhere. Um, But that it's so true. So it's just such a part of our lives. It's integrated into our lives. And one of the one of the phrases I actually start out with our training, um, Gretchen Rubin coined this phrase. She runs the happiness campaign and and does a lot of research on loneliness and happiness. And um, she said, technology is a great servant, but a bad master. And that is, that is really so true. If we can keep our phones where they are serving us, then it's in the right, it's in the proper place. We need it for work. We need it for, um, during COVID, my goodness, we needed it to stay, keep our companies open, to keep our schools, our kids educated, to keep us connected. We had, you know, Thanksgiving dinners over over phones. And so talk more tech less is not an anti-technology at, in any way. We definitely use our technology, but we we put it in its proper place. We we make sure that it's serving us and not mastering us. You know, when I'm scrolling on social media and I haven't done any laundry and my kids don't have pants for the next day of school, then I realize my, <laughs> my technology is mastering me. So if I can put it in its proper place um, and use it, as a tool, use it um, in a way that it's supposed to be making me more productive, making me more connected. That's what that's the purpose of technology. But what we're seeing is that it's becoming this piece of entertainment versus productivity and connection. It's really entertaining us um, and distracting us a lot of times. Yeah, it seems that social media in general, it's hard to say general things about social media, but in, in general, I think social media is bad. I, I don't I don't see positive things about it. It allows you at Facebook initially to keep up with some people that you haven't seen for a long time. That that's kind of helpful, but uh, eventually it it comes back and bites you. Uh, one of the other statistics that you have on your web is teens who spend five or more hours a day on electronic devices are seventy one percent more likely to exhibit suicide risk factors compared to teens who only spend an hour on electronic devices daily. And the number of teen suicides has skyrocketed in the last decade, it just, really just incredibly. Yeah. And, and apparently this is, this is social media. I guess we get back to the idea that it makes you think the whole world is having a good time except for you. You know, we talk about social media, keeping social media social. 
Um, I think the danger comes in when we isolate with our social media, when we're by ourselves, when we're spending all of our time on it. Um, we've, we are deceived into thinking we're connecting, but we're really not. We're actually voyeuristically watching other people's lives. And we may be commenting or, you know, trying to really be connected on there. But if we're having the balance of that in our lives and we're keeping social media, social, I say the way to do that in your home is you're on the same platforms as your kids are. When they set up a social media, you set it up. You're posting pictures of their games. You're getting to see, you know, grandparents are getting to see that they have a game this night and their team won. Uh, Different things like that is is a positive way to keep social media connected. But if we are spending a ton of time and we're isolating on it, then not only is our well-being going down, which can lead to these loneliness, um, anxiety, depression, even to the point of suicide, um, all of that is impacting us as we're separating out from real life, from the real world that we're trying to stay connected to um, and just connecting completely on a screen. Don, good final words. Thank you. We've been talking to Don Weibel, who is the founder of Talk More Tech Less, and the website for organization is talkmoretechless.com. We're going to have Don back to talk about other aspects of digital wellness, and thanks for listening. So until next time, be of good cheer. This has been Mind Matters News with your host, Robert J. Marks. Explore more at mindmatters.ai. That's mindmatters.ai. Mind Matters News is directed and edited by Austin Egbert. The opinions expressed on this program are solely those of the speakers. Mind Matters News is produced and copyrighted by the Walter Bradley Center for Natural and Artificial Intelligence at Discovery Institute.